Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Sean Castrina. Sean, welcome to the show. It's great to be on the podcast. Yeah, looking forward to this. On this episode, Sean Castrina is going to share his entrepreneur story, how he got to where he is today, and then we're going to discuss some key takeaways from one of his books entitled Eight Unbreakable Rules for Business Startup Success. These are, in my opinion, must-follow rules if you're planning to start a business, but a lot of these rules also apply as lessons if you have an existing small business. So stay with us for this great conversation. If you want to receive more information about the How of Business, including links to the show notes page and everything that we talk about today, or to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996. So Sean Castrina is a serial entrepreneur, having started more than 20 companies over the last 20 years, and still seeks to launch a new venture annually. He is an investor, a teacher, a highly sought-after speaker who communicates with humor and bluntness, as you'll see today, that engages and captures us to, to really learn from what he has to share. He's the author of, as I just mentioned, Eight Unbreakable Rules for Business Startup Success, which we're going to dive into a bit today, and also the author of The Greatest Entrepreneur in the World and World's Greatest Business Plan. Sean lives in Charlottesville, Virginia, in that area. So once again, Sean Castrina, welcome to the show. It's great to be on the podcast. Love to have you. Uh, done the research, obviously know about you, know about your show, which we will talk about. I thought we'd start with with the journey a bit, though, Sean. Um, one of the things, obviously, that's always interesting and stood out to me is you were born legally blind and then went through countless surgeries to get to where you are today. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I have a totally blind brother. So, um, so I, obviously eyesight is, is something that <laughs> is just was a challenge in our family. And without my like if I didn't have my eyes, you know, my vision corrected, mine were like 2200. Basically, just to give you an example, to get LASIK surgery, you got to be like on this, on this, you know, I, what is it called when you're, oh, my stigmatism, like negative eight, that would be great. Mine's negative 20, and they lose count. Oh, my just to give you an example of that. So yeah, I, I went to the Wilmer Eye Institute, John Hopkins, and I've had about everything you can have done to your eyes. So every time I go to get my eye exam, it's just funny. It's like, it's <laughs> like I have my fingers crossed my, I, you know, I, I have not before. I mean, I, I, I've just, it's very, it's always a challenge, but I, wrestling, you know, I played soccer, which you don't have to really see that great to play, play soccer. And, um, and then I wrestled, I was a high school state champion and, and wrestled division one in college. So you know, that just gives you the mindset, like, you know, where you lack in something, there's always an equal gift I think you get. And um, so it all worked out pretty well for me. Yeah, no doubt. How, how did it affect your learning? Uh, did it impact you being able to read? And, and what were the resources then? Was yeah, that I always a challenge? Sat in the front of, yeah, I always sat in the front of the classroom, as you could imagine. Um, so other than that, I, you know, I don't like to sit there and read endlessly. I listen, I like audible books. Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're definitely my favorite. Um, and then when I write my own books, I always make sure it's a font that I always assume that it should be a little bit bigger. You shouldn't have to struggle to read a book. Right. You know, like I'll pick a books up sometime and I'm like the, the print's so small or it's so I'm like, no, this is just why I know. 
Yeah. I'm I know. I get why, it. So. I'm the same way. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I was an old man at 20 based on my vision. Got it. Got it. All right. So what was your early career then before you became an entrepreneur? Yeah. So I did the, the journey that, you know, my generation over 40, you basically got a college education and that you felt like if you got a college education that naturally took you a few rungs up the ladder. Okay. My parents would tell you that, you know, they didn't go to college and that limited their income. So I, I always thought I would go to college and, and did that through an athletic scholarship, got a bachelor's degree, got my dream job out of college. Two months before I was getting ready to graduate, I called a major firm that I would never have the resume to work for, agreed to work for free for 90 days. They said I was going to take my graduation money and use that to bankroll the summer. And needless to say, I stayed there for five years and I'm friends with the people that I work for and, and, and one of them I had breakfast with last week. But with that being said, there was a major leadership change. The CEO left about five years into it. I was finishing up my master's degree. I was one class away from a master's degree, married, new house, everything perfect, you know, perfect job. And then I got let go overnight. Wow. Now, what industry were we talking about? You know, it was in nonprofit in the DC area. And, and I knew then because I never, I never saw this coming L literally like I, you could give me a thousand things that were going to happen that day. This would have been like never crossed my mind. <laughs> so at that point, my paradigm of, of job security and career changed. And I didn't go to college for business. I had never thought about starting a business. I always knew I'd have something going on. I mean, I was never going to be poor. I mean, I'm an ambitious type of person. So I'd have something on the side, but I never considered myself. I'd never looked at being a full-time entrepreneur. I mean, that's for sure. Never you know, I'd always done things on the side, like, you know, above and beyond my work hours, whether it was speaking and things of that nature at the time, but you lose your job and then you go, okay, well, you don't really have job security in a lot of situations. And at that point I really discovered, discovered that you don't have job security. And, um, so I made a decision then that I'll work short term to get something off the ground. And I had no idea what I was going to start. It wasn't like I quit and I had this, you know, million dollar idea the next day. It was nothing like that. I knew I would work, but in the back of my mind, I knew that I would start a business at some point. And I went out and sold insurance because if you're, you know, halfway articulate, you know, you got a little bit of energy and I did well, made actually very good money quickly. Um, but in the parking lot, I noticed that's when I first time I ever met millionaires, which seemed to be quite a bit of them in that, that industry. And there was really nice cars there. And we had a staff meeting every Monday to kind of get us motivated and see what everybody did. And I'm like, wow, it would be such a good idea if you get your cars cleaned in this parking lot. And this is before this was a big thing. This is 25 years ago. So I'm like, golly, if you could bring like a vehicle out here with, you know, all the water and everything, just, you know, everything self-sufficient right in this parking lot while I'm sitting in this meeting, you'd get my car clean. So when I go out on appointments, I look professional, blah, blah, blah. Again, that seems like a really simple idea. 25 years ago, it wasn't quite as simple, but I did it with under $2,000 of startup money, started a company called Waxmaster Mobile Detailing. There's another one of my secrets. Don't complicate the name. Somebody hears the name of your business, they should know what it is you do. Waxmaster Mobile Detailing, you know exactly what we do. Bro take a bold tagline. America's Choice in Mobile Detailing was the tagline. And then the phone number, 888-933-3824, toll-free, we detail. I, you know, I kind of knew the blocks even back then, even in my first startup, I sold insurance that year, but I had a detailing business on the side and I made $35,000 free passive money just for setting up this company and just kind of nudging it, 
once a week in the right direction, running the marketing and things of that nature. And that kind of got the ball rolling, you know, $35,000 a year passive while you have your job, just so you know, that'll pay for a wedding, a very, very <laughs> nice wedding. I just, I paid for one of those recently and they're expensive. Number two is it'll pay tuition at a really nice school per year. I mean, you'd be surprised with an extra 35,000 a year. If you're like retiring, you'd need a little, you'd need about a million dollars in an annuity peeling you off three and a half percent a year, which you'd be very happy to have. So I think that people sometimes get misled or they feel like they've got to have this super big idea. Or number two is they feel like they got to quit their job. I did not quit my job. I did not have a super idea. I had a, I had a, a profitable idea. And number three is, is that people think they got to have a lot of capital. I did it for about $2,000. Yeah. So many key takeaways there that I want to start breaking down, but I want to go back in time. But, but the thing is too, what you did do is you identified some, an opportunity, a need that wasn't met, simple need, and you addressed that, right? That's absolutely the secret. Now, going back to a lot of people get laid off and they just look for another job. It's usually it takes a couple of hits in the face to realize that that perception of job security is just that. Why do you think this, that was so impactful for you that it just took one blow for you to get it that you needed to do something else? Because I was arrogant enough at that point to say, you have got to be crazy to fire me, to let me go. Like you have, you know, in my mind, and that's just the competitive athlete in, in me. But like, I knew that I was in the top 1% if you put me in a room with other people. And I, and I, you know, that again, that's my wife would say that you're an arrogant SOB. She heard me say that, but that's, you got to have that in athletics. Um, and, and so I just, I was like, wait, do you have any idea what you let go of? I mean, if I was hiring somebody, I would want to have me. And that's kind of how I felt like, okay. In other words, if I could start with one person in an organization, and again, this sounds cocky and you're turning this podcast off, but I, I'm not a bad person to build your team around. Right, right. We, I think you, we have to have that some level yeah. of confidence in ourselves. But, but it's, uh, I think with the way I translated as well, Sean, for me, a lot of uh, how I felt about that was I knew that I could deliver more value and somebody was de arbitrarily determining what my ceiling was on the value that I could deliver. You know? Absolutely. And I say this to so many people, but every person that has a job, I want you to hear this because this is game breaking. Every person that has a job, I don't even care if it's opening and closing doors. You have a business. Think about it for a second. If, if someone has been paying you to do a job, they have determined that you have value for a certain skill. Now, what that skill is, is between A and Z. LeBron James has a skill. He gets paid higher for it. But I would argue the person who stacks shelves has a skill. They just don't get paid as much for it. But, but a company said... John, Susie, I believe you're worth whatever the amount is to do this job. So no matter what you're doing, you have a potential business. You have a mon you are, you know, you are a business. You just got to figure out how to monetize it. And the secret to that is, is being exceptional at it, you know, and, and turning it into a business, and then hiring people to work with you. They were willing to do it a little bit less than what you're charging. I mean, I just broke business down in its most simple numbers. That's the truth. I mean, what I, if you really think about it in nearly every case, lawyers do it, they create their own law firm. Why? They, they realize that somebody's charging for their 
skill, such and such. And they believe, well, I might as well pocket it myself. Yeah. You know, they, they recognize that, okay, we're billing at it 400 an hour and I'm getting paid a buck 70, 175. Some, I mean, at some point you wake up and you start realizing that if somebody is paying you, they're making money on you. Let me just let you in on this mathematical secret. That's right. And Every time doing... you have a job, somebody's making profit on you. And if they, if they're not, they're either going to get rid of you or they won't be in business. That's right. Yeah. They're, they're like the way I look at it, that Sean is they're they're using you to develop their wealth. And, and at what point are you going to start building your own wealth? Yeah. I've heard um, that said that, you know, you do one or two things, either you make somebody else's dream come true or you make your own dream come true. That's right. That's right. Um, so since you mentioned it, when people ask you about starting a business, do you usually recommend it as a side hustle, as a side business to get started? What are your thoughts there? Well, I, I'm not a big, I don't like the word side hustle because I hate the word hustle. You know, I'm old enough to know that a hustle is, makes you feel like you're kind of, you know, it's just, I, I like side businesses. I love the word business. I, to me, it has more uh, gravitas. <laughs> so, oh, and it, it sounds more uh, structured, more official, more, more yeah, not, not just like, like a hobby can, on the side or maybe. Exactly. You know. a, a hustle to me is like what you're doing right now, but it could change next week. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's no commitment in it. So no, I, I think, and I use this phrase all the time, success and wealth tend to start at the 41st hour in a week. In other words, the fact that you have a job. Okay, great. I mean, there's been a lot of successful people work hundred hours a week. You ever hear an interview with Elon Musk, Steve jobs, or, or Bill Gates. I mean, those, they put in the hours. So the fact that you're going to do something above and beyond what is normally you know, required, okay, welcome to the world of success. So if you work 40 hours in a week, you should have something on the side. I always had something on the side. Even when I had my dream job, I was making side money. The point is, is that, that so that I don't think that, that should just be in your mindset. That just should be in your normal, the way you think. I always said 40 hours a week pays the bills. Everything over 40 is what builds a life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you gotta, that. you gotta go. And that's why I'm not a big believer in quitting a job to start a business. So, okay. In other words, if you were unemployed, I tell you to go get employed first and then start a business. That's what I did. You got to pay the bills. I mean, let's yeah. be a realist. Yeah. And what happens when you don't, and you, and you don't have the money put aside is then you, you take shortcuts that end up hurting you in the long run. And you're stressed out. And I always think that the marketplace can smell a weak animal. Yeah. You know, it can. Yeah, no, no doubt. All right. So the book that I want to dive into a bit is the eight unbreakable rules for success. What, what led you to write this book? I'm curious. You know, I I was on a beach vacation with my roommates from college. I take my friends and their family. I get a beach house and about 20 of us do this every year, our families. And I, I was thinking why my businesses had succeeded. You know, statistically, nine out of 10 businesses don't reach year 10. And that detailing company I started, I actually had them clean two of my cars a week ago. So it exists wow. 25 years later. Okay. So I've had three businesses reach the second decade, 20 years in business. So I knew that I, I that I did things a little bit differently, but I was building durable you know, durable, profitable company. So I was sitting at the beach one day and I just started writing out like one sentence rules and axioms that I did, like better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. And that my rule is, is that when you're going to fire somebody, make sure don't, don't, you may have the best person you got, right? The guy in front of you may be okay, 
you know, because better the devil, you know, than the devil you don't know. Another one is there are no sevens like in hiring. I don't believe anybody's a seven. A hiring a seven never moves the needle. Give make them a six or make them an eight, but you can't let them be a seven. Seven is just so average and sevens just don't make great companies. So I, that's one of my rules. I mean, I can go on. I got a million of these. So I kind of just started writing down these little axioms and then I started putting them in little buckets that eventually became like eight unbreakable rules that when you got down to it, you looked at any of these, they fell into eight areas that you need to be, you know, alert to when you're starting a business. Did all of this, uh, you feel come to you from experience, trial and error? Obviously, I know you read a lot. Or did you have mentors? Now, this, these were all from? my business one. I mean, I read a lot, but normally stuff that goes in my book, I don't take from something I read. Normally, it's always an experience I've had. And then I may, you know, support it with research or something. Somebody else had maybe a quote or something like that. But no, all these are, you know, these are mine that I, I just realized there was a reason why my businesses did well and businesses that didn't you know, I had businesses that failed as well. And I knew looking back, they failed because I didn't do one of these rules. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Let's, let's dive into them. We're going to touch on all eight at a high level, but obviously we can't dive uh, we can into go it. through them really, really quick. Yeah, absolutely. So, but I want to ask you, especially on some of them, yeah. the first one is of course, is a big one. You must be qualified. And I happen to re be reading a book that is on a similar topic by Gino Wickman about, you know, he, he believes you're either born an entrepreneur or not. I don't know if I completely agree with him, but, but you talk about here a lot of things in that section because there's so much to go into it. Yeah. But just introduce that, this, what you mean here by you must be qualified. The idea is this, is that one thing about entrepreneurship, and this is what I like about it. Education doesn't qualify you. Okay. Your startup capital doesn't qualify. you. You can have all the money in the world and a bad idea and you'll still run it into the ground. So you have to be a great entrepreneur. It is a choice. So I think a couple of things I try to talk about in that chapter is number one is why do you want to be an entrepreneur in the first place? Your why has to be strong because it's going to motivate you when you're doing that uphill lift. So the first thing I ask a person is why my motivating reasons was enough to motivate me. In other words, I wanted to control my own future. I wanted to control my income. I wanted to be able to make as much money as I wanted, or if I wanted to take a week off, make as little as I wanted. I wanted flexibility of schedule. I've never missed one of my kids' school events. Okay, I, So scheduling, flexibility of schedule was important. My wife says I work all the time, but I feel like I never work. Because I can spread it out. You know, I can yeah. go to the ball game, come home, do paperwork for an hour or so, or do it on a Sunday morning early. I can, I got seven days a week, 168 hours to get my work done. And I love that. So the reason why I wanted to be an entrepreneur was a motivator. So that's number one. Number two is the skills to be a great entrepreneur, you've got to develop. And this is my point. I can give a great idea to a lazy person. It will still fail. I can give a great idea to a moron and it will still fail. I can give a great idea to a person who doesn't get along with anybody and can't get a team around them. It will still fail. You see the pattern here. So what I do is I go through, you know, I would, I, I bet on people, not ideas. So if you want to get, you know, your startup in your favor, well, why don't you have some of the skills that your most successful entrepreneurs have relentless work ethic you know, unbelievable fortitude to be able to overcome, you know, obstacles that come up. And 
wickedly smart in their area of giftedness. You know, I'm not smart in a lot of things, but in certain areas, I'll take my brain over a lot of other people's. My ability to build a team, to recruit talent, okay? My ability to sell what it is, you know, my idea and or my vision, you know, you got to have that. You got to have that, you know, energy. There's certain things that you just got to have, I believe, as a startup founder, and it, it dramatically puts things in your favor. I just say it gives you that 51. Mm-hmm. Just gets you over that 50-50. And the better you are at these, leadership, your company will only be as good as the leader who's leading it. So leadership you got to have. So I just kind of go, hey, listen, if we can bet on this startup working, let's start with you being better. This is Henry Lopez with a brief interruption to introduce you to our new show sponsor, Fredos an online international freight marketplace. So much is unpredictable right now, but our sponsor, Freydos.com, is making the world of freight shipping logistics a little smoother in these challenging times. Freydos.com brings thousands of importers and exporters together in an online marketplace, giving you the freedom to move between providers. You just say the what, where, and when, and the Freydos algorithm will find the right route, provider, and price quote for all of your ocean, air, or trucking shipments. I am particularly impressed by how easy the online platform is to use. The result? Confidence in your pricing, reliable service, and peace of mind. On Fredos.com, you can compare, book, and manage your shipments all in one place. With thousands of importers and exporters on one platform, booking on Fredos.com delivers bulk buying power that's typically reserved for high volume importers. Plus, more logistic providers competing for business means lower cost and better service. Fredos.com helps small business importers get competitive and fair access to freight shipping logistic providers in the world's largest digital freight platform. As a special offer for the Howa Business listeners, Freitos will take $100 off your first booking over $1,000. Go to freitos.com forward slash business and use the coupon code FREIGHTPODCAST. That's F-R, the number eight podcast, to try Freitos for your business. So you touched on it. One of the things you talk about in this section is about can you make profitability your passion? And you talked about the why. The thing that gets talked a lot of, a lot about nowadays that I don't quite buy into is that we're supposed to have this higher calling, this higher purpose. Oh, I'm going to beat this into the ground. <laughs> I know. You, as soon as you pass that microphone I know, I know. Over. Because, because you just said it. You know, It's okay to be passionate about making a profit, about making money that allows you to have then the lifestyle that you described, right? Exactly. That could be my passion. It is. Number two, that, that's the second rule. And I talk about qualifying your idea. And you know, I wrote that almost 10 years ago, but now I, I kind of say it this way. Passion is an entrepreneur's mistress. It's an entrepreneur's mistress. And the example of that is I had a business in a shopping center, and I'll never forget this. The business to the left of my company was a a gentleman who sold everything to do with train stuff. He dressed like a conductor every day. It was the neatest little shop you've ever seen out of business in six months. Yeah, and I'm sure he was very passionate about it. Oh, he knew everything about trains and loved it. But there was no audience who wanted what he had. There wasn't enough people that shared his passion in our area. Another person did scrapbooking. She went out of business. I started a handyman company 21 years ago. I still can't assemble a three-piece birdhouse, but I couldn't get anybody to, to do any handyman work at my house. I tried to convert my dining room into an office, and it was like trying to find a one-eyed leprechaun. Started a handyman company, Advantage Handyman. It's made me about $60 million, and it's the 9,000-square-foot house I'm sitting in, and that was just one of them. 
Because once I figured out my idea didn't have to be sexy, my detailing business wasn't sexy, mm -hmm. but the detailing business gave me the, the, was the incubator to make me realize if you make the phone ring and you have somebody who's willing to do the work and there's a, a nice margin between the two, you got a business. Example, this is what I love about service companies really quickly. If you can create an interest in your service, whatever it is you have, I don't care what it is. You, you make the phone ring. 10 people say, I want you to do this. And you can get this person over here to do this work. And you're charging A and you only have to pay him B. And there's a spread in between. This ain't rocket science. This is what's made me millions and millions of dollars. So, so I started a handyman company while I owned a magazine in 23 cities at the time. And five weeks in, it had 54 phone calls. And I knew then along my magazines were doing well. I knew then I had another million dollar idea. Yeah. And none of them are sexy. So I, I talk about passion. Listen, define passion because it doesn't have to be your business. In other words, let me just be clear about that. I love golf. It doesn't mean I go out and buy a driving range. But my businesses have allowed me to play some of the nicest golf courses you can. I have a membership to one of the nicest country club within three states, for crying out loud. So to redefine passion. I, I give money away, educate, you know, feed, clothe kids. That's I like that way more than what my business does. So just be you, you might need to redefine passion. That, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Number two, because yeah, you no, need I to agree. have a profitable idea. And, that, and that's, that's so well said. I completely agree with that. So you touched on number two, which is your business idea must be qualified. And again, there's a lot more to yeah. it in the book, but I want to move more forward to plan for success. Number three, the business plan is another thing that gets uh, debated and everybody has a different opinion about. Uh, I always look at it that unless I have an external audience that I have to sell on my idea, investors, perhaps a bank, some other kind of lender, that then the, the planning is all for me and my helping me make the decision as to whether this business model might work. It should give you confidence. A business plan, one of the key objectives of a business plan is to give the founder the confidence that it's a good idea. I mean, that, that's one of the key objectives of a business plan. When, you, when you, I talk about planning for success, it, I give it to you this way. If I gave you a half million dollars and told you to go build a house, you wouldn't run the Home Depot and start buying lumber you would get a blueprint. You'd go, well, do we want three bedrooms or five bedrooms? Do we want you know, a master bedroom on the first floor, on the second floor? Whatever the case may be. I'm just telling you, hey, take the same amount of time that you would in building a house and, and, and blueprinting your business. Who's your target customer going to be? Who's your competition? Why are people going to buy from you over your competition? How are you going to reach your target customer? I can keep going on and on, but you get the general idea. And that's why I wrote the world's greatest business plan. That works. <laughs> Because there are critical questions. It doesn't have to be a 300-page dissertation. Mm -hmm. But there are about 25 critical questions with you know, little subpoints on it that you definitely need to go through. Because when you get done with a business plan, you want to feel like your idea is valid and you have a strategy to make it happen. That's what you want out of a business plan. Okay, you know what? I looked at my competition. They're failing here. Man, I looked at how I'm going to market. I feel really confident we can do it here. That's what you're trying to achieve out of a business plan. You're trying, all you're trying to do again, just like I said, in being a great entrepreneur, number one is you're trying to move the odds in your favor. That's all I'm trying to do in this book is say 50% fail in, in two years. And I'm saying, well, let's, let's look at the first three things I just said and tell me if that would make it a better startup. I said, number one is you got to be a better entrepreneur personally. 
Okay. Number two, I said to you, is you need to have a profitable idea, not just something you're excited about. And number three is I've, I said, you need to have some type of plan on how you're going to, uh, you know, bring this business to the marketplace and how it's going to work. Well, those three, I would tell you probably have already moved the odds of your startup succeeding. Yeah. And do you believe uh, in how you started, which is to start small, the MVP approach and then iterate? Micro, start a micro business, get a pulse. That's all you, that's why I tell you never quit your day job. You can, learning how to scale fat, like when the, when the handyman company had 54 phone calls in a week, that was a great problem to have. Of all the problems I've ever had in business, (laughs) that was the best problem ever. What I do, I brought in a partner shared profit with him. He worked out of the office because he understood construction. I was out doing a magazine and we scaled it to a million dollars within three years. You know what I learned? 50% of a lot of money is better than hundred percent of a little money. Yeah, so I zero. scaled it in two weeks to, to accommodate it. Yeah. Give me those problems every day. All right. Exactly. Number, number four is protect yourself and your business. And the one question I have for you from this, because yeah. you know, there's a lot that we've talked about in this show and a lot of that is obvious, but he Sean highlights a lot of key things in this section, but since it, a lot of it is about partnerships, I just want to get your thoughts on partnering. You just mentioned yeah, it. I love. I it. prefer to partner typically, not saying that every partnership has been a success. I'm the type of person that likes working with someone else that I respect and trust, but what are your thoughts on partnerships? My rule is this one plus one equals done. You put my skill set with somebody who has the opposite gifts that I have, and we are definitely going to make some money. And I learned that with the handyman company, I had to scale it quick. So I had to figure out who's the one hire that can allow me to scale 54, you know, requests in one week. It wasn't getting another worker. I needed a partner. I needed somebody who was going to worry about this business at two o'clock in the morning to the point where I was willing to split 50% of the money with them. So you, I believe in partnerships. I think, you know, there's rules on partnership. You need to know why you go into the partnership in the first place. Real quickly, it's simple. Do they have time that you don't have? That was mine. Do they have expertise that you don't have? That was mine. Can they fill a key role in the company that you, that you need? That's an expensive role to feel, fill. He did that. That's another one. Do they have capital? I have that. Okay. You know what? So you kind of go through the four that typically are the most, you know, or, you know, they have experience within the industry. So they may understand manufacturing. And, and then finally, they may have relationships, network. There are about the five reasons why most partnerships take place. My only point is you need to know that without this person, the business would not succeed. I look back when I gave that person 50% of the profit. It doesn't mean you give them 50% of the stock. Let me be clear. Right. You don't always right. have to give away. You know, you can make that if they stay five years. Um but the point is, is that I, I, you, if your business needs that MVP, I don't know any other, the best way of getting a superstar than giving them 50% of the profit. To me, that you can't afford to pay them a lot. I mean, I, I, I had 54 calls, but it wasn't like we were making a ton of money right there. I needed a massive carrot to bring this person over. And I'm just saying, to, I have found partnering and sharing the profit with them has been my superpower. I have seven partnerships right now. And I make really some crazy, crazy money. And my partners make crazy money. So it, it just has worked for me. The rule is this though, get a partnership agreement. Even if you don't go to a lawyer, just sit down and type something out that you both can agree with. Simple things in it. Number one is, is that if any of you two leave in the first five years, you don't have to buy that person out. They don't get a dime. 
That's a huge mistake made. Somebody gets bored, fall in love or whatever the case may be, or get divorced in the opposite, whatever it is, there's no value in that company. If you leave in the first five years, number two is list each person's responsibilities, make it clearly defined what John's going to do and what Mary's going to do, whatever it is. If either of those fail to do those responsibilities, they have to pay out of their profit to get someone else to do them. That way, you know, this person was supposed to handle manufacturing and they take up golf and they hire, you know, an associate manufacturing person. So and it costs you 80 grand. And basically you're paying somebody to do what you thought he was going to do. That's my, they're my two big things. And number three is, is that how you would structure a buyout if it happened. In other words, you would have to approve the person they sell it to. You get first right to buy them out. You typically want to come at some reasonable price. Maybe it's three times what their profit was the most recent year. I'm just saying you want to kind of cover these things. However you structure it, I'm just giving you my general rules that I do. But you want to have that agreement made and get it notarized. Yeah, it's huge. I, I have a, a memo of understanding that people can download from the website or, you know, read Sean's book as well. It is so critical. This is where I see people make a huge mistake, Sean. They're in the honeymoon phase. Oh, I can never imagine getting crossways with my cousin or my best friend or whomever, but it happens. And we've yeah. seen businesses. And finally, intellectual killed. property kills startups too. They don't yeah. protect their patents, trademarks, and copyrights. That's right. That's the key thing. Um, so, but so no vesting of that ownership for five years. Is that exactly what because I don't want to give them a reason to leave early and cash out. Yeah. Any amount of money you pay them the first five years will sting your fanny. I've had to do it before. Yeah. And it's not right. fun. Okay. Number five is build a successful team. We've touched on some of that yeah. there, but, but I'm curious as to your thoughts on the team beyond the staff, the employees, that external team. Not, I'm not, I mean, obviously we have an attorney, we have a CPA, but how do you look at, you know, mentors and other people that you go to for advice to or run ideas by? Yeah. I mean, you, everybody needs to have a group of people that they trust. That's one of the reasons why I like partnerships because you have a natural kind of a mastermind. I have a mastermind when I go to my office any given day, I go down the conference room. I got seven people I could bounce some things off of. I think, you know, I believe in hiring coaches and mentors. If they can take you somewhere faster or take you further, or if they can save you money and they'll typically do all three because they, they're going to show you mistakes that, that they've made and you might want to avoid it. I, listen, when I wanted to learn how to play golf, I hired a pro. When I wanted to write a book, I, I took a class on how to write books. So I, I think any, you know, coaching works. My rule on that is this, they better have achieved what I want to achieve at a level exceptional. I don't want to, I mean, they better be, you know, you don't give me financial advice unless your tax returns have an extra zero or two in it. <laughs> so I, that's my only qualifier. They need to be, you know, they need to be legitimate, but I, I, yes, I absolutely think mentoring is good. One quick way I did it to get one at no cost. I went into a, a business that I'd known through my magazine, an older business owner. And I just asked him if I could take him to lunch about every six weeks and bounce questions off of him. And I did that for like five years. Yeah. That's such a great, I always tell people, you'll be surprised if you approach other business owners the right, the right way, especially yeah. older, more seasoned people, yeah. how willing they are to share. Absolutely. They love to share. They want to tell you their story. I think so. I think so. That's what I've found. Okay. Number six is marketing is not optional. So 
Um, Word of it's mouth about is having a fantasy. A... <laughs> Word of mouth is a fantasy. Okay, idea. tell me about that. Why? Why is it a fantasy? Well, because I I don't know if you know it, but Rolex sells really expensive watches, and everybody knows that. But they spend an awful lot of money on advertising. This will shock you, but Budweiser sells beer, but they're going to use the Super Bowl to remind you about eight different times. Yeah. Apple makes a really nice phone, and they're going to keep showing you that they make a really nice phone. My point is, all your Stallworth companies, even Costco, they just do it in reverse. Costco doesn't allegedly advertise, but yet they spend a lot. They do an awful lot of PR to mm-hmm. let you know that they have the best benefits, they pay the best. They, they they're just going at it at a different angle. Sure. My my point is, is I just going to ask you a simple question. How are you going to attract customers day in and day out for years? And if you can somehow do it by word of mouth, you're a better person than me. I have, I have absolutely studied this with my companies. I have found that great word of mouth. My company, I own a few of them. A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. I have 20,000 customers in our database in a local file. It still only makes up a third of all our calls. Hmm. One third of all our businesses still fresh advertising new customers that have to find you some way exactly and then you make the point that i think is so critical especially for small business owners we get it's like a single advertising event as you say the first the next thing that person that walks into their place of business okay we'll throw 300 bucks to that and we'll throw a thousand there they don't have a plan yeah they throw stuff against a dartboard exactly see what sticks they don't have a plan you just need to have a you know what what i'll make it really easy i'm going to give you one sentence that'll change your marketing forever what one promise that you can deliver on that your industry or your competition has failed to deliver on that your target customer, if they heard about it, they would chase you down for your business, deliver on that one promise, build your marketing around that one promise. Let that be your unique selling position, staff your company around that one promise. Every great business typically starts with one audacious promise. One thing that they do different, you know, Redbox, we're going to give you a movie, you know, you're going to get a movie for under a dollar right here when you walk out of your grocery store. What if we could give you, you know, 80% of all the movies that are watched for under a dollar and you don't have to go stand in line. I mean, that, there you go. There's Redbox. It worked, yeah. you know, and Netflix, we're going to do it with streaming. To, I mean, every business kind of has this unique thing that they do. And, and you've got to have yours. And then once you have it, tell everybody about it through the vehicles that they're most likely to find you. And very simply and clearly, that's the other thing I see, Sean, as I'm sure you do, that people have these convoluted messages. And, One promise. And nobody knows. Like you said at the outset, where you named your business, don't create any more friction than you already have to overcome to get people to know what it is that you're offering. Exactly. Look at Allstate. Save money, uh, safe drivers save 40%. There's their bit. There it is. What's their one promise? If you're a safe driver, they have a target customer in mind. They want good drivers. Safe drivers save 40%. They repeat it seven times in one 30 second commercial. That's their one promise. Geico, 15 minutes will save you 15% or less. I mean, I can go all the way down the line, but keep it simple. Mm -hmm. All right. Number seven in the book is know your numbers. And we're going to touch very quickly on this. Here's the question I had that that brought to mind. I mean, I've talked, I talk about this ad nauseum on the show, Sean, that it, you cannot relinquish knowing your numbers with the excuse that, well, I'm not a numbers person or I'm not into the finances. BS, right? You have yeah, to know exactly. your numbers. But let me ask you this. The thing that I do struggle with sometimes is knowing when to realize this business model is not going to work. 
How do you make that painful decision of not continuing to throw good money after bad and it's yeah. just not going to work? Right. Some businesses die. A person asked me this yesterday. It's really kind of simple. I'll tell you when you need to pack it up. Number one is your expenses are exceeding the money that's coming in. I know that sounds really, really simple, but it's actually true. In other words, your operating expenses are 10000 a month and you're continually bringing in an 8000 Okay. Like if it continually is what, what period yeah, of time? For, I mean, no more than six months. Okay. I okay. mean, really it's whatever you can afford, whatever your, you know, runway, how much money you have in reserves. Of to course. me, it, to me, it would never last more than 90 days. Okay. Okay. So as a 90 day, I feel like if something's not working for 90 days in your general startup world, you got to do one or two things. Okay. You either got to close it down or change the strategy. Yeah. You either got to completely pivot to hate an overused word or, or, or shut it down and go on. Exactly. To the next but some businesses are rejected by the marketplace. If nobody's interested in what you're selling, you're just not getting any traction. Well, you, 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 again, you either got to do a mass pivot or you might have to close it down, live to fight another day. And that just means another startup. Yeah. You're going to learn something. Even if this business closes down, trust me, Statistically, the second startup is the one that succeeds anyway. Yeah. Because you're going to learn so much during this that don't view it as a failure, view it as a speed bump. So that leads directly into number eight, which is learn from experience. And then you talk about starting over every year. Talk to me about yeah. what that means. Well, my, I try to start a business and or profit stream every single year. And I do that because what you're going to find is, is that what once worked for you won't work. And so if you put, if your whole business models around this one thing, what happens if it's not popular anymore? You have a competitor that just is a direct hit in it. So I've always tried to figure out what we could do different every year, what we could add every year. Also, we survey our customers. What are they asking for? But I try to add 20% of new revenue every year. Okay. It doesn't always work. Sometimes it's 7%. Sometimes it exceeds my expectations. Sometimes it doesn't work at all. But if you do that every single year, you're, you're getting these, you know, these additional cash cows and it just makes your company so healthy. You look at Amazon, they added Amazon prime, then they ring doorbell. Okay. Then they, you know, the Kindle then they have audible, you know, I can keep going down the line. I mean, they're constantly adding, you know, what Facebook buys YouTube. I mean, Google bought YouTube and, you know, great companies are entrepreneurial by nature. Okay. So I'm just saying, don't just have one thing. You need to be looking at ways to expand, grow your company, maybe be an entrepreneurial company. I've bought other companies that complemented my company. All I'm telling you is you just don't stop. You don't put the blind, you know, you just don't duck your head in the sand. You got to be hyper alert to new opportunities. Yeah. Agreed. All right. This is all great stuff that we've in a little deeper dive in, but you got to get the book again. It's called eight unbreakable rules for business startup success. And, and I give it the three. Yeah. And I give it away. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you not go get this book from Sean? So tell us about that, Sean. And, and also about the podcast again. Yeah. I mean, I give away my book. So I, my goal is to give away a million. Anybody can sell a million, right? Give away a million. That's where you need to do it. So if you go to seancastrina.com, you can get the eight unbreakable rules for free download it. It's yours. And then if you like the way I teach business, I have a 10 minute entrepreneur podcast every day. It's, it's just really quick. We, we, we just, I, you know, I talk about branding, everything that comes up in my business becomes a lesson on my podcast. 
and I interview more top 5,000 founders and any other podcast, not even close. I have a team that that's all they do is book founders on my podcast. So I can ask them, you know, what do they wish they would have known, you know, when they first got started that they know now what's their best piece of startup advice. It's just a really quick, you know, podcast that will help you. So, and then I'm on Instagram. So there, there you go. But yeah. the book free book on my website and the 10 minute entrepreneur podcast. Yes. One of my, one of my favorite podcast shows. Okay, speaking about books, I know you're a big reader as well. So I know you're reading something now that you'd like to recommend. Yeah, I, you know, I had the owner of their, they actually have a platform business called The One Thing, which was a, you know, really good book. Um, and it's just a great book. I'm reading it now again for the second time. It's called The One Thing. And uh, Keller wrote it, you know, from the person who set up the, the um, real estate company. And he has a co-writer. I apologize. I don't know his name. But it's a great book called The One Thing. And I, I love that book. I love, I think and Grow Rich is still my favorite. I read that through like once every year. You just right? cannot, that book is like 90 years old and it's still spot on. Still holds up. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Wonderful. Thanks for that recommendation. All right, Sean, we'll wrap it up here. What's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had about these rules of, of a successful business? Uh, the most important thing is that you're going to have to do something more than what you're doing to have something great in life. And it really does start at hour 41. So just kind of look at your schedule a little bit and just start putting some money, some more energy and money. Maybe you need to get some coaching to do something great, but between hour 41 and hour 60, start building something great during that period. You well know, said. that's my advice. And sometimes, sometimes that building something great is, is about starting to feed your brain with, with stuff like books and learning about. That was the game changer with me. My son yeah. was playing T-ball. And if you ever watch a T-ball game, you'll definitely listen to something <laughs> else. I love my son, but that was the most painful years I've ever spent. But I started listening to Audible mm. and I started listening to books and it was Think and Grow Rich and, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and all the way. And I absolutely believe that took me from without a doubt that added a zero to my, I was making good money, but that took me from a 150,000 type of person to millions. Yeah. I definitely think it helped me make the leap. Always learning. All right. Tell us again where you want us to go online to learn more. SeanCastrina.com. Can't make it easier than that. S-E-A-N-C-A-S-T-R-I-N-A. -A -A, and I'm sure it's in the show notes. Go there, get yourself a free book and, um, and listen to my podcast, 10 minute entrepreneur podcast. Sean, great conversation, inspirational, law full of very actionable and, and wonderful advice. Thanks for taking the time to be with me today. No, I'm glad to be on. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Sean Castrina. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com, or just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996 to receive more information. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.